That's right. How you guys doing, ladies and gentlemen? I hope all is well. Yo, shout out to uh, Mr. Uh, Nick Gant and the rest of the comedy pop-up army. Thank you very much for that show over there in Culver City in Rush Street. I had fun, man. It was awesome. Uh, March 27th. Also, uh, thanks to the homie uh, Jose Sedano for coming out. El Cibernetico. That's right, man. And you guys... uh. Thank you very much for uh, supporting, dude, on the real, man. Whatever it is you do and how you do it. Muchas gracias. Yeah, man. Shout out to uh, Cosme Cordova and the uh, Division 9 Gallery there in uh, downtown Riverside. Um, yeah, man. I want to bring some comedy back to Riverside, so I'll be working with those guys, dude. I'll let you guys know the details ASAP. And, um, yeah, man. So I hope you guys are good, man. I'm good. Dude, I've been under the weather. I've been sick for like a fucking month, dude. I'm so over it. Um, and it sucks, dude, because you travel and you get sicker sometimes. Dude, just out of it, dude. And then bloated on top of that. Yo, bloated and sick. Yo, I hate that shit. And uh, yeah, man, since, dude, since Hawaii, dude. So I got to hit you guys with the podcast to recap the uh, entire month. But um, yeah, man. Um, other than that, you know, got that killer flu going around. I don't know if it was that shit, but whatever. Um, so yeah, I'm feeling better. This is probably like the best day I feel so far. Uh, but nevertheless, moving on, yo, shows, I'll be opening for, uh, Felipe Esparza in, uh, New Brunswick, New Jersey. That's right. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to Jersey. Yeah. We went at the stress factory, April 12th to the 14th. Yeah. Get your tickets uh, by calling the Stress Factory box office, 732-545-4242. That's right. The Stress Factory Comedy Club in New Brunswick, New Jersey. April 12th through the 14th. We're going to be over there. Myself, uh, Rodrigo Torres, a.k.a. James Gandolfini, Silent Bob, and a man of many voices. Uh, Mr. Johnny Roque will be there as well. Yeah. And the man, Mr. Felipe Esparza. So please, East Coast, come fuck with us. <laughs> yeah, man. I hate being sick, dude. Um, sometimes I think it's like, dude, that's what you get with your fat ass not working out, man. I'm like, damn, I know. I'm slipping. I worked out once, dude, this whole last month, and it was in Cleveland, when we were over there, dude. Shout out to Hilarities, dude. Had fun. Was out there with uh, Toby Hicks, uh, Johnny Roque, and uh, The Fool. And I worked out for two days. I felt great. And then just fell off the wagon again, dog. Not doing shit. Scratching my big ass stomach. <laughs> You're too hard on yourself. You must be too hard on yourself. Because when other people are too hard on you, it's like nothing. Hey. <laughs> so what's been going on? SoCal's been shaking. There's been an earthquake. Oh, my God, dude. That gives way for all those people that say, it's earthquake weather. It's earthquake weather, dude. It's earthquake weather. 
the fuck out of here with that fucking ignorant ass statement. <laughs> like the weather dictates <laughs> the platonic uh, plates start slipping. Platonic plates. <laughs> oh my God, I'm slipping, you know? Who knows, you know? <laughs> but everybody's all like, dude. Fucking earthquake, dude. Fucking Riverside, dude. All the way to L.A. to Burbank, dude. <laughs> it's like, you know, the, I've been here since I was a kid. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, California's going to break off and go into the ocean. Really? When's this? Earthquake weather. Killing me with that bullshit. What else, man? Canelo. The fight got canceled. Damn, man. It's a trip, man. Like how people get all like political with even like, you know, from, you know, sports teams to boxers. Dude, he's a big Mexican hope. Really? (laughs) Come on, man. Get it together, dog. But anyways, Triple G still on top, huh? What do you got? The McGregor going crazy too now? They stripped him out of title. He's in jail or some shit. According to news updates on Twitter. Huh? <laughs> Yo, mate. Did they put him in a paddy wagon? <laughs> oh, my God, dude. <laughs> People are crazy. What else is cracking? Oh, yes, 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 yes. There's a mandate by the uh, commander-in-chief, right? We're going to put the military at the border, okay? We're going to we're going to we're going to put the military at the border, okay? We're going to send the army, okay? <laughs> huh, there's another one, huh? Send the army. Shit, why don't you send the salvation army, dog? So they can raise money for your wall, right? Oh, and shout out to all the uh, Democrats that let uh, um, the Dreamers slip out of their hand. Now uh, the Dreamers are having more of a nightmare. Damn, excuse me. Um, yeah, man. Uh, they didn't. They didn't. Uh, they didn't do anything for the Dreamers, man, with this last budget. And then uh, they didn't give Donald Trump his money for the wall, right? So now uh, he's going to pull out of the military budget, or if. What he proposes right now to send the military down there, or the army, national guard, whatever. Um. Um. <laughs> branch he chooses, if that's a way he's gonna um, uh, appease his uh, constituency, or if the Democrats got another trick up their sleeve, which is uh, the midterm elections coming up. They swipe clean, they get the majority in the Senate and the House, and then they'll do something for the dreamers. Again, it's only a dream. Why are you getting political? That's one thing. I don't know if you know, but like politics splits the room. I don't know if you know, but (laughs) most people never meet the politicians and represent them, let alone... uh, the crown prince in the Oval Office, huh? What does that have to do with that? I'm just saying. Yeah, bitch. You're just saying. It's funny when people say that you can't talk politics or you can't talk uh, religion at the dinner table or whatnot. You can. The thing is, people get emotional. And when you get emotional, you t- 
tense up and you flare up and you rather fight than actually have a discussion and hear out both sides. We the people, right? That's what the Constitution said. <laughs> Enough with your soapbox, okay? Thank you. <laughs> Nevertheless, you know, yo, check it out, man. We got a great episode uh, right now. This uh, gentleman uh, I met in 2004, I was with Voodoo Glow Skulls. I don't even think I was working with them anymore at that point. I was just hanging out. We were at the, uh, it was the Knitting Factory in LA. I don't think it's there anymore. But uh, he was in a band uh, titled uh, Left Alone, still in the band, family member, principal songwriter. And they were there, man. He was real cool. And we uh, started talking because he had a Pearl Jam tattoo. And um, that's funny, dude, because when people in bands are like, um, people that get band tattoos or people that love music, there's a point in time in your life where you, um, you dig the band so much, you'll get a tattoo, right? Shit. You love them. And then you grow up and get into the music you're going to play or listen to, or if you're open to everything, you kind of want to cover up that part of your life, right? Cover, cover that uh, little tattoo up with something, uh, either, uh, more contemporary or what's with your, uh, um musical taste or whatnot well this dude didn't do that he has all his tats man he keeps it pretty og and uh so we talked about it. i'm like dude is that a pro jam tattoo he's like yeah man and i'm all what's up dude <laughs> and he just told me he's all dude i was totally into the band uh i got tickets to see him i got all fucked up i seen him from the lawn and it was the worst show of my life <laughs> so that sums it up but uh, that's how I met the dude, man. And he was real cool, man. Been rocking ever since, dude. He has a cool history, dude. From getting signed to now even being a guitar player in the band uh, Transplants. So, ladies and gentlemen, uh, please welcome Mr. Elvis Cortez. Yeah, man, dude. But all that shit's crazy, dude. It's nuts, right? You keep up on all that shit? Have you always been that way? With uh, what the fuck's going on in the world? I have, but my opinions are... Uh, I keep them to myself because they're not popular. Yeah, to generate fucking discomfort with everybody. You know, that you're full of shit or fuck you in that thought. That's not right or you don't know what, what you're talking about. What the fuck about. is this fool on? <laughs> or, or this fool's fucking Mexican. Why is he thinking like that? <laughs> you th- <laughs> are you thinking globally? Yeah, it's like you're supposed to think rancholi. <laughs> Hell yeah, man. And one thing, dude, I really want to ask you is like, when you start the fucking, um, the Elvis Little Empire, dude, when you did your, uh, when when did you start Left Alone? Left Alone started back in, well, I was trying to start Left Alone in like 90, like 92, 93, when I was in like junior high. Oh, so you were already rocking from back then? Well, I was trying to. I didn't okay. play. Okay, okay. But I was like trying to make people join my band that I didn't have at the time. But I was in a band already. Okay. In my mind, I was like, yo, right, right, right. Band. you want to play drums? So no one took me seriously for years until like um, maybe like 10th grade. My my sister had bought me a, a a guitar from the pawn shop. And when she finally paid it off, she had it on layaway. I started playing it and I didn't know how to play. But I had a friend, Oscar Avila, who... Uh, he was like, all right, like he was, he was a good friend of mine, and he was like, okay, I'll, I'll play bass. So his mom bought him a bass, and like he didn't like it. Oh, he so wasn't into it. She, he, no, nah, he, he got it, f- um, for his birthday. 
So he was like, no, nah, I don't like this. I think because he didn't learn it. Because I didn't know how to play either, but we were just like. Starting off like. in the band, wow. bro. We got a guitar. <laughs> so, so then we had to wait a whole year to his mom next birthday. So then that's when she bought him the drums. But by that time, we, I kind of figured little things out. I didn't know how to play. And I used to think that you had to change the guitar strings every week. <laughs> yeah. And I didn't know how to tune. I didn't know there was, you had to tune stuff. No musicians in your family. Nothing like you. No. No. Nothing. So um, I was just like, I need to. I need to like learn how to play. So I would put change the strings and I would leave them loose. Cause I figured that's the best way they felt. Yeah. I didn't <laughs> know, dude. And then one day this guy, Mark Gonzalez, he used to play in a band called Astrofell. And, uh, he was like smashing pumpkins kind of, dude, but he was a friend of a friend. He came over and he was like, Oh cool. Like, let me, and he tuned it. And this is probably after about a me year of having it all loosely with yeah, the strings and, and, and shit. And after he tuned it, it Maybe like a week after, I kind of already had a song. Without knowing chords, I would just look at... I, there was this kid who used to steal uh, the metal guitar magazines from uh, Lucky's. Remember Lucky's? <laughs> yeah, the so old school, So he would sell them to me for like 50 cents. La Lucky. La Lucky. <laughs> la Lucky. la Leche. Yeah, so, man. So he would... You know, I would look at like band guys' hands. I'd just be like, oh, like, okay, that's how you kind of hold a chord. This is how you kind of do it. So eventually, I kind of strummed a couple things together, and then that's how the band began, and then... We were looking for a bass player, and then our friend Ruben Medina, who was always into like cool stuff, I thought like he wore a Charles Manson shirt back in like junior high, which was like not really, but he liked Morrissey too, which that wasn't cool, but whatever. <laughs> yeah, and the Smiths, he was one of those, you know what I mean? Ah, uh, dude. But but he also liked like Bad Religion, and he got me into Rancid, oh, so right he was on. hip with everything. I just didn't like all the weird stuff like Morrissey. And all that I eclectic just shit. It. I didn't get that. I just never got it. So we started a band and we were just, you know, doing our little thing. And then that turned into like playing, you know, backyard parties. And, and we played a quinceanera. We would play anything, anytime, any place. You know? Oh, like that, dude. Like, well, yeah. The the way I saw it was like, I need as much like, I don't want to call it stage time, but like I need to keep doing this as often as I can because I enjoyed it. And there was no money or anything or nothing. It was just like, I'm in this band. I got to play. I'm in this band. One day I'm gonna tour. I'm gonna. I, I gotta write a record. Like the so desire. I, then was yeah, it was there just this burning. drive of just like. So we would go from like backyards. I remember when we graduated from high school, we snuck into the auditorium because I had stage crew and we just played, snuck in all the gear. Like no one cared, <laughs> but to us that shit was punk. You know what I mean? Like it was. Fuck yeah. So we did that, and then Oscar left the band because I started listening to like a, Op Ivy and Rancid. I started getting a ska. And he, and he was like a metal guy. And he was like, Scott's for pussies. Damn. I want to play this shit. And I was like, <laughs> fuck. So actually, Ruben also introduced me to Voodoo Gloskos. That's just one thing because he was always into that shit. So he left. We got another drummer. And then he just kind of started working on stuff. And then by 98, we started, I rec we recorded our first EP. And then just kind of started doing recordings year after year after that. But that was just like the beginning before the internet making flyers, passing them out, playing parties. And at that point, we got tired of having backyards where the cops would break it up. So then um, I started this PCH club that I was telling you about. Right there, that one in, in uh, Wilmington. Wilmington. It's on the border. It was on the border of Wilmington and uh, Long Beach on PCH. It used to say rehearsal rooms. And it was just like a just an old building. And one day I left a, a letter under the door. And I was like, hey, my name's blah, blah, blah. And if you would like to rent this out, please call me. So this guy called me, this guy named Don. 
six five old white man really cool guy he used to be an old wrestler they used to be no wrestling gym oh damn so he used to have he used to have in there like pigeons like cages and cages of pigeons in the back it smelled really bad so he would let me rent out the place for 25 dollars, no 75 dollars a show okay so i would do free shows and then that's what started like the little punk community there and so that you kind of like started that little scene there was when you guys started there was no scene then no, there was another band called Armistice in Wilmington. They were older, uh, peace punk, like really anarcho-punk. They're still around today. But they were more like, they were so punk, they wouldn't print merch. or You know what I mean? They're, oh, they were that punk. Uh, they were so punk that like they would print their seven inches with like non-whale oil. Oh, ink. damn. Yeah. So like they were like super punk. Like, like mad respect. Like, uh, that, goddamn. So that's like even before like vegan was be, be, being popularized or any of that Way shit. Way before everyone was all into that. They yeah. were like, yeah, we don't do this and we don't do that. Which I respected because when when I got into the punk scene, it mattered like what label you were on. Yeah, integrity. What, what band you listened to. Like, yeah, it, it mattered. Like Very would, critical of that shit. I would stop listening to bands if they signed a major. I was like, Psh, later. Yeah, yeah, dude. Yeah, like I, I was really weird like that for a while, man. And it's a, one of those things that you fucking, um, you know, it's part of part of it. Being punk, you know what I mean? Right? But this, the, the scene changed and it became more accepted where now anyone can do anything at all the time. So I remember we'd play punk shows and they're like, oh, they play ska. And then we play ska shows and they're like, oh, they play, play punk. punk. So it, it would become kind of like a weird thing. But um, yeah, so that started a whole thing where... It was like a club, and, and then we started, we played the Roxy once, and then we played the Whiskey once, and then we met, this girl was at the show, and then she was like, I really like you guys, you guys should come play Southgate. And we're like, wow, that's far, we've never been there, like, Southgate, yeah. Damn. But we show up, and there's like 300 kids in the backyard, because their scene was way more developed than ours. Because in our scene, it was like our girlfriends, our friends, and some cholos. That Over was it. there, it was like punks, like hardcore punks, like, like boots and fucking mohawks, so it was like... All right, I remember the first show we played there. We didn't even get to play, but she still gave us like 50 bucks for gas. And I was like, dude, I'm making it. Like, <laughs> so they took care of you. Yeah, so then we started doing that. We met more bands from that area and Schism. And I think at the time there was like Teenage Rage and all these bands. So we started just clicking up and we would go play out there and then I'd bring them over here. And then we would do Baldwin Park with like the, the Waywards. So it, that's a very organic like grassroots thing where it was like, all right, like you, we'll play your place next weekend, but come play my place and it was super like diy there was no internet i had a pager where i would leave like Damn, the directions <laughs> to directions to the show so the flyer would have a number kind of like a like a backyard like uh hip-hop or whatever those things are those raves so you would i would leave a message of the address like and i, and I only have like a certain amount of time so i have to say that shit fast as fuck <laughs> you go down 110 get off on pch and make a left and keep going on the right side before you hit long beach right, late <laughs> so that would be the thing and that was for years and then we recorded we recorded in riverside Remember um, Mean Street or BAM magazine? Yeah, yeah. Was that what the Life Arts building? No, this was with the Love Juice Laboratories. Love Juice La off of what street? Like off a of market right there? Or? Off University, but you okay. keep going down this way. So we would go like that and then just exit. It's still there, I think. Um, so they had a, a they had a four songs for two hundred and forty bucks. So I remember we went for a weekend. We stayed in the van and we recorded our first EP, and that was like the beginning where. I remember these friends of mine had a collective little, little like, like a label, but it was mainly like just friends kind of trying to put stuff together. Mm -hmm. No distribution, no anything like that. So they helped us put it out. And then um, after that came out, which was cool, then we I started recording the next one and then it just 
kept kind of going. That was like 99. In that first EP, did you put that out on Smellvis? No, no. It was or- put out on um, Counterfeit Records, which was my buddy Leo and a bunch of his friends. Because they, they were like four or five dudes. They met every Tuesday at Denny's. I remember that. And they, they would all pitch in money. So at that time, I was working. And I didn't have money to like put out a record. But I paid for the recording. Okay. So we just kind of like, they helped me put it out. We had a couple shows, and then um, eventually it just came back to me because the label folded, and it was just my songs anyways, you know? Oh, okay. And did you guys do, is what did you release it on? Did you do vinyl? Did you do 7-inch? Oh, no, it was, it was it tape was, it was, or? Oh, our first, first Yeah, first yeah, the release, first one, yeah. We played the Roxy, and we paid the sound guy 20 bucks to record us live, and then we put that on a cassette. Oh, okay. Live at the Roxy. And that one, every single cassette label, I typed it on a typewriter. So a lot of misspellings and shit. <laughs> this is before I had a computer or anything like that. So it was just like all the song titles. So that was the first one. But our first official release was that CD. That was an EP. I did the the jackets, like all handmade, digipack, very punk, DIY kind of vibe, you know? That was the first official thing. And then um, after that, we did My Mistake, which was the second EP. And uh, for that, I had bought a bunch of Star Wars toys back in the day, and um, the old school 77 ones, and then I, I sold them, I flipped them, and with the money that I made from that, I, I put it into putting out our own thing. Oh, okay. Yeah, so. And under the, under Smellvis? Yeah. And that was your first release ever on that, mm-hmm. on the label? Yeah. And you started it pretty much just to put your stuff out? Yeah, I started it because I kept sending um, our stuff to like Hellcat, Epitaph, and... Uh, Fat Records, I think, but we just kept getting rejection letters. You know, those, I, still, I still have them. Free. Really? Oh hell yeah! And those were the only labels you you mess with. You never send like BYO and shit like that or what? No, I think I my, my like I just wanted those to be, three main ones. I wanted to be on Epitaph because Rancid and Bad Religion were on Epitaph and No Effects. Were, and then I was like, and then Tim started Hellcat when I was like, okay, perfect. I could be on Hellcat. That's my little, dream, right? Little subsidiary. And then I was like, well, Fat Mike's kind of cool. Like, I'll see what's up with that. <laughs> oh, hell yeah. So I sent him that. So the rejection letter we got from him was, uh, it's cool. They had like different like lines that said like, you're not Nirvana. We only sign punk bands. So they would check one off, right? <laughs> one of them said, uh, don't quit your job at McDonald's. Maybe one day you'll be a fry guy. Like, Dick. Like, yeah. <laughs> and ours was cool. They checked off and said, your band's pretty cool. Keep sending us your stuff, but right now we're not interested. So that was kind of like a a little glimmer of hope. Keep that, it up. Yeah. And then Hellcat was like, we love the packaging. I still have all the... They're framed. <laughs> I have them framed next to uh, the contract. You know what I mean? So it's inspiration for whatever, but... Um, Fuck yeah. Theirs was like, yeah, keep sending us stuff. You guys are cool. Just keep sending... And then that was years of that. So I was like, okay, well, if they're not going to put it out, then I'll just put it out. And, you know, it goes back to, like, the DIY thing, the minor threat thing, the Discord. Like, just kind of always kind of like, well, you can... Partly, too, the Mexican vibe of, like, well, I can do it. You know what I mean? I just need some money. I'll figure out the money part, but I can do it. As soon as you just figure that out, how to put it out, it's like... As soon as I found out where to get impressed and how much money I needed, I would sell a guitar or some Star Wars toys that I would, like, buy to flip or, or, or whatever. And then I would just, okay, here's our new thing. So this is how much we need. And that's how it started and... That was the beginning of it. And what 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 link was it to get you some distribution though? Oh, to start getting it out on the stores and shit. That's another level because when somebody thinks about putting out the record, they don't think about distribution. None of that stuff. No, because it's like, well, first of all, who do you know? So I didn't know anybody. So it was all just sell it at the shows. Sell it at the shows. Go or? to some record stores that were independent and be like, hey, co-sign it. Yeah, there was Zed Records in Long Beach. Co-sign. And be like, hey, um, can you can you guys take some of these? Well, just just give us two bucks a piece. 
you can sell them for whatever. Just get, you know, because I just wanted the cost of it. Just put them so on the some, shelf. Some would do it, and then we would make flyers, and then people would go buy them. There was Zed Records in Long Beach, Offbeat Music in Hermosa Beach, um, a couple others, I think uh, Headline Records. Yeah, and you know, just here's five, you know, and then you check like a month later, all embarrassed, like, <laughs> did you I know, sell anything? Uh, did you have a stock of? Oh, we sold them. Can you bring more? I'd be like, yes. And other ones would be like, nah, we still have them. All right. Thank you. <laughs> so then you make more flyers. So that's the distribution that started, which is like wherever you knew to go. But um, then we got some distribution. The first distribution company I got was the Sound of California. Oh, dude, I know that. The Bill? Bill. That old man? Yeah, dude. He, he was pretty much out of his house, no? He'd tell you he because uh, I was working at Cheap Guy and I had I put the orders in there. He'll be telling me stories about his wife, his kid, and I was like, "Motherfucker, I just need to put this order in, dude." And you know, pay me for the last one. Oh yeah, the check's already sent. All right, hang on, let me see if I got it. Like just all chaotic in there, dude. Whenever uh, I I call him, it seems like I'm fighting with like my chick or something. Cause <laughs> we just go at it like, straight up. And you know what? The last time I was at his pad, he had a um a hundred year turtle, a llama, um a goat. He started like a petting farm for his lady <laughs> that didn't do anything. So that would just had a gang of animals in the back. <laughs> he was like, he's like, see, he calls me smell this. He's like, smell this. God damn it. Look what I did. Look at these goddamn animals in this house. He had a pool that was like all green because there's <laughs> animals just chilling in the back. I'm like, Bill, you got a fucking, the turtle was as big as like, like a small bug, like a BW. <laughs> like, I was like, what the Shut fuck? up, dog. year old turtle just chilling right there, eating all slow. Like, <laughs> and I was like, Bill, he's like, God damn it. Like, I don't know what to do. And I was like, I don't know, probably donate him or something. Like, because his, his lady asked him, she wanted a job and a career. So she's like, I want to start a petting zoo. And he also had like a like a pony, like all in his backyard in Santa Ana, like in some nice ass house. Just a bunch of fucking animals. In yeah, place. dude. Like, I've only talked to that fool on the phone, but it always seemed like mad chaos going on. I love Bill, but he's crazy. But in a good way, he's helped me out. He was the only one who, uh, who took my CDs. He's like, okay, send me a box of 30. And I was like, a box of 30? Holy shit, I think I made it. Like, 30 CDs. Yeah, man. And then he'd be like, all right, I sold them. Can you send me another box? Send me two. So to this day, I still work with him because I love him. We have other distribution now, but I, I always will always work with him because um he gave me a shot back when no one gave a fuck. You know what I mean? And, and he's always been, he always paid me. And one time when I had a record store um, in 03, I left on Warp Tour in 04. And while I was on Warp Tour, somebody broke in and stole everything. I mean, even the God posters. Damn. Even the posters off the walls. Motherfucker didn't even leave staples. Nope, not even. He was like, those are good. I'll take them. So I, he took all, like everyone, what, everything was gone. So I got back from Warp Tour, and I was like, fuck. Like, didn't get signed on Warp Tour. <laughs> I had quit my job. Damn. My real job. And uh, I was like, fuck. So I hit him up, and I told him. And then I wrote him a check, and I sent it to him. And he, because he says, because I paid him when I lost everything, he will always work with me because people will rip them off throughout all the years. Oh, yeah. He would and tell me the fucking horror stories. This guy owes me $10,000 in the 90s. I was like 30. Yeah, 000. man. And I was like, here you go. Because I'm not one of those people that I, I just like to pay my shit. So he was, he's always been grateful because of that. And he's always helped me out. Like when I go to punk rock bowling, when we set up, I always buy a bunch of his, his albums, mm -hmm. sell them there. And then he, you know, help him out too. Because, you know, there's not that many stores anymore to yeah, distribute man. music. And he's responsible for getting a lot of bands into stores too, yeah. man. He was always like, 
Because, you know, like, once you start moving up, like, you know, like, I remember when uh, those fools got on Epitaph, they started fucking with red distribution. Now we were able to get that yeah. higher-ender stuff in the store. Yep. But it would be more money. I mean, obviously, bigger reach. But this fool always had, like, if we couldn't get something from them, it was, you know, we would kind of, like, you know, it would be a little cheaper so you get it from him. And then you don't want to lose that relationship. But at the same time, he was always a reasonable dude. Super. It wasn't a corporation. And you know he did mean? help a lot. He helped break a lot of bands. Like, he was... Selling the Sublime stuff and the No Doubt stuff early on. Yeah, with the Raleigh shit. Yeah. No, I remember all that shit. That's who we would get it from. Yeah. Sounds of California, dude. But Chipato, if you go to his pad, it's just it's crazy. It's like <laughs> records everywhere. He's fucking yelling at me. Like it's, but it's a good thing. He's a, he's a badass. It's funny. Everyone that I talk to or bring him up, uh-huh. they have the same story. Crazy. <laughs> yeah, man. He's a good shit though. It's funny, dude. I haven't thought about that fool in like fifteen years, dude. Um and when was the first time you guys started hitting the road? Um, did you start going like weekend? Yeah, we started like in '99. But see, I always worked, so I couldn't really tour, tour, and um, I was building it too, and no one knew who the band was, so it was you know it's kind of hard to do it. But I was oh, always yeah. like working, paying rent, and then kind of like financing the band. So then we'd go on little weekend runs when we could. We went to San Francisco one weekend, did some like matcha thing out of Golden Gate Park, and like. You know, just learning things and like, it was harder back then because I remember when I would try to book something, I would write letters. Okay, so <laughs> just directly. Directly, I'd I'd find out about clubs through like Mean Street or whatever. Or I write a little route and I'd be like, "Hey, my name's da da da. We're planning on coming on this day. Do you think?" I remember a couple people would write back, write back with a letter. I'd be stoked, right? Damn, dude. Yeah, and then um, so we started doing little weekend things. We start playing a lot locally, and uh, just kind of d- developing. Because I remember now, like, thinking about it, like, me sending those demos to Hellcat or Epitaph, like, we weren't ready to sign. <laughs> we're fucking, you know what I mean? Like, it, it's uh, funny you say that shit. We weren't ready because a lot of fools think they are, dude. Like, and it's like, dude, I mean, you're stepping up to mad professionals, dog. You know what I mean? That and the sound, just sound quality. Or oh, like, fuck yeah, Or, like, dude. learning your chops or, like, just everything in general. And it's like, I see it kind of like, I don't know, like, you need all these years to develop. And become like I like on our first little songs or whatever our EPs releases. There you could see there's a couple little little things that stand out. Like oh, this song's pretty catchy. It's raw. It's not. It could have been recorded better, whatever. But you could see oh, that one's cool. Skip, skip. Oh, that one's all right. Next Potential. Song. Yeah. And then once we started developing, and once I got to a certain point, I think where. I felt more comfortable. Then that's when more things started happening. We started playing more in, in like TJ and Mexicali. And we started getting a, the scene grew. We met bands like Viernes Trece and like Chencha Berinches and Kung Fu Monkeys. And we started kind of developing in that scene more and more. But it was it was kind of hard in the beginning because I always saw it as like you have to like come at it with your own angle and like DIY so you know we started printing our own shirts and developing our own thing I always had a van you know what I mean like I dudes would be like oh look at my car it's a Honda Accord I'm like oh look at mine it's a van just it's, a, right. it's a 85 Ford Econoline white panel van with spray paint on the back that says leftalone.net ready to go yeah because I always had that thing in my head because when I started the band I had these dreams right and I wrote them down and it was like I want to be on Hellcat I want to tour you know this all over the world I want to do this. You know, I want to do that. Like, literally all of them, right? And that was always my goal. And even though I always worked, had a regular 9 to 5 or whatever, I always did the things to get me to where I wanted to go. And it was a long 
process. I mean, it took me eight years, eight years to get signed, you know, from and the beginning, from, from the, the beginning. And then, you know, starting releasing your own stuff. And then when we finally got a, a record together, that was good enough. It worked. And then that changed everything for us. You know what I mean? But yeah, it was always just kind of like little steps, little steps, you know? And how long? So when you got signed that first record that changed everything for you, which one was that one? That one was Streets of... No, no, that was Lonely Starts and Broken Hearts. So after our first couple EPs, we did a split with the band called Snapper. And I wrote some songs on there that really, really um, hit a nerve with like the scene. It's like the question was in Spanish, like one of the first Spanish songs that I wrote or released or whatever. That one cracked. And then we did Streets of Wilmington, which was our first full-length album. That did really good. And then the next one was uh, Lonely Starts and Broken Hearts. And then that's when... I released it, and then I went on Warp Tour with Destruction Made Simple as a, as a roadie, as they were the barbecue band, and then I got... Oh, and then, and that's when you... Did you quit your job the first time? Yeah. So that's even before... You weren't going with Left Alone. You were going solo to be with that band yeah, man. To, to work for them. Mm-hmm. And so we went on Warp Tour, and then uh, I met Kevin Lyman, and uh, I had to leave because one of my bulldogs was uh, dying... And I had to leave the tour, but I, I talked to him and I was like, hey, man, like, I have to leave, but here's my band CD and hopefully you like it. Hopefully next year we could be the barbecue band. And I made an application for it and I made it really funny. I made like, <laughs> I got voted most likely to best cook because of my tamales. Or something. <laughs> so he would remember me. Right. So I turned in an application and he was probably like, what the fuck? But it remember, he remembered. So when I hit him up, he was like, yeah, let's have a meeting. So we did. And I already had that record, Lonely Starts and Broken Hearts, recorded. We released it in that 04 tour. That's when they broke in. I came back. I had quit my job. I had nothing. And I was I had bought a brand new van. So I was like all in debt. And I just kind of, yeah, dude. And then uh, owing Bill. And then um, nothing happened. And then one day, my friend Justino was like, hey, man, let's go to, um, let's go to the knitting factory. The agri-lights are playing for the Hellcat. Give them the boot three release. And I had given a demo or like a, the album to Tim and um, Tim Armstrong from Rancid, the Hellcat label um, owner, in, uh, on Warp Tour because Lars and the Bastards were on the tour. So he okay. was there to check him out. Right on. And he talked to me. He's like, hey, man, you, what's up with your band? Like, I was like, well, we're doing better and like we're selling more records, but we need more help. And he looked at me. He's like, why don't you talk to Hellcat? And I was like. About the town. Well, you are Hellcat, homie. <laughs> Dick. You know, because he was, you know, he, he it was cool because I had seen him kind of around and he was at our show and uh, super humbling, you know. It's like we're on Warped Tour. No one knows us. We're, oh, playing, on, yeah, we're playing on the dirt stage and here's the dude. Just, like the main, the main fool of all fools. Like, yeah, he's over here just kind of scoping you out like, oh, that's cool, you know. And um, and right when I'm about to pitch him, like, we're the hardest working band you've never heard of. <laughs> Some people swoop up on him. Ah, oh, dick. A Always. Girls, huh? And it was just like, yo, Tim. And I was like, and he, he looked back. He's like, oh, we'll talk tomorrow. I was like, okay, cool. I'm over here flipping burgers because it was a party at the Pontiac Silverdome in the parking lot. There's reggae music playing and me flipping burgers because we were the barbecue band. So I'm just like, all right. I'm, you know, smell like ketchup. and you know, <laughs> So I'm like, hot right, dogs cool. and shit. Never saw him again. Damn. He was gone. That's it. And I was like, so that day, Justino, I was at my pad and he was like, Let's go. And I'm like, ah, it's late. It was like a Tuesday. He's like, I'm already in your alley. Let's go. And I was like, all right. So we drove down there. And uh, the girl from the Horror Pops, uh, Camila, was outside. And she was wearing one of our shirts. And she's like, hey, what's up? And we had played with them once before. But her husband, Jeff, at the time, liked us a lot. And uh, 
She's like, Tim's here. Come on. So she like walks me in. And he's right there, like, you know what I mean, chilling with all his peeps and stuff. So he's like, hey, what's up? And I was like, hey, da da da. He's like, what are you doing tomorrow? I was like, nothing. He's like, come to my house. All right. Like that. We'll go get lunch. I was like, all right. So I I think I left without even getting his number because I was all nervous and shit. <laughs> yeah. I think dude. I had to call Edward from Union or something and called him, picked him up. We went to go have lunch and, uh, yeah, he was just like, you know, I dig your record. And he told me his history with, like, music and a lot of stuff. And I was just sat there, like, tripping out, you know? It's like, huh. Hearing it from the horse's mouth, huh? Yeah, and it's like, and he's so, he's he's so, like, genuine and humble. Like, he's just a good dude. Like, he just doesn't matter how many records he sold or how, like, whatever, where he's played in the world. He's, like, super, he's, like, a super nice guy. So. Kicking with the motherfucker the road sound system, dog. Yeah, right? <laughs> Besides that yeah, and everything dude. else in between, Fuck, dude. he's just chilling, you know. And I'm just, I remember I didn't even eat, I was all nervous. I was just <laughs> like, and he starts talking about Op Ivy days and just, just being, just, just. And I'm just like, fuck. And then, um, that was it. He goes, I, I think he said, uh, I would love for you to to join the Hellcat family. And I was like, fuck, done. You know, Course. yeah. Where do I sign, dude? Well, then it was like. I had to get a lawyer. Then I had to fire a lawyer because that fool was trying to like get more money from them, and oh, like stupid shit like that. Oh yeah, dude. and that and that's when you first started realizing what the business was like. Hundred percent. That's the first person I fired ever, and it felt awesome because this fool was like he was fucking he, up your deal in essence. Hundred percent. He's like, you're an established artist. You're worth way more than what they're giving you. And I was like, wait, wait, wait. I was like, this is a punk label. You don't even know what you're talking about. I'm not a rapper. I'm not a, like a, back then, whatever was cool was like boy bands, whatever. You right. know? I was like, that's not what this is about. And I was like, and this is what I've worked my like whole time on. Like my, I don't want to say career because it sounds cheesy, but I've been developing to do this. Yeah. But, and I'm thinking this was just thinking about his 10 or 15%. So he's trying to get as much as he can. So his chunk can get bigger. Right. So he was like, no, da, 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 da. And I was like, yeah, you know what? I'm fired. You're fired. That was it. I was like, like, no, thank you, but we're out. I just showed up one day to the label. No one was there. There wasn't no photographs, no fucking like red carpet. <laughs> it was like on a Friday when no one was there. I just went over there and I signed the paper and I walked home. I'm not walked home, but I just walked out. I was like, and that was it. There was no like, I didn't need that. I knew what I, you know, there was no negotiations of like, I need one more penny per song. It was just like <laughs> points I, or nothing like that. Yeah, no, I was like, I'm good. Tim, I trust him. Tim, Tim, and he's like, do you own your music? And I was like, yeah. He's like, okay, I want you to own all your music. I'm like, yeah, cool. So he, without me really knowing 100% what a lot of that stuff meant, I trusted him. And he was cool. He was he was not trying to pull one over on me. He was just being like, I like your band. You're a cool dude. You work hard. you know. And I've been giving him demo tapes since like Life Won't Wait era. Yeah, dude. And what record were they on that at that time when you signed? Uh, indestructible. Oh fuck, dude! I I have a story with me giving him that live at the Roxy tape to Tim when they played uh, Life on Wait era. It was it was a rancid Hepcat and U.S. Bombs Palladium. I'm outside with my friends. I see him walk out and he's going to the to the tour bus. I'm like, hey Tim, what's up? And he's like, hey, what's up? You know, it's like, hey, it's my band. Oh, cool. I collect tapes. I'm like, yeah, this is my band. This and that. And then uh, he's like, he looked at me. He's like, can you sign it for me? 
right and i was like what the fuck like i don't, <laughs> do, I don't know what, why do you want my sorry ass autograph right and he's like you know like can you sign i was like all right and my friends all the way home were like fuck that fool asked you to sign <laughs> and i was like dude that just seems like you know what i mean it was just weird but <laughs> it was just funny because he was being so cool like just like oh sign me your demo tape but um so yeah from that was life on weight 98 so then 99, 2000, 2001, 2003, 2004. Damn, dude. So it's been, you're pretty much like trying to be in his ear from all that time. Yeah, whenever was, I'd uh, see him, I'd just be like, hey, here's my new th- project. And but I'm the full length is what broke him? Yeah. yeah. Like he dug the album. I think he really dug the album. Uh, it's a, I remember thinking like, I'm proud of that record. It was where I was at that time in my life, which is all you can hope for. And to be just be honest with it, and it was... It was a good record. He liked it. And then they re-released it on, on Hellcat on the Hellcat. next year. And we were again the barbecue band. And then that helped us tremendously. And what, and what changed as far as like uh, once you got on Hellcat? people and, and it's not the whole thing that like people started treating you different. Like as far as like you guys be, got better offers for shows. You guys got a booking agent. like Yeah. Booking agent was the first thing because I couldn't do it anymore. Because you need a professional booking agent. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. And then um, we started getting offers for tours. We went to Europe immediately after that, like at the end of that year. We started just getting better shows. More people started knowing the band, and we started becoming friends with like the bands that we loved. You know what I mean? That we were friends, that we're just fans of, and it just became a really cool like progression of just like hard work and then just like enjoying the fruits of the labor of just being on tour. That was all my thing. I just wanted to be on tour. That's it. Hit the road. I didn't care. Be out there. We were out there like nine months out of the year. We would just leave, come back, leave again. Come. We, I just didn't want to be home because I figured that that was the way a band is supposed to be. You just tour. To build it. You just tour, yeah. W- whether it was like a shitty show at some bar on a Monday or an awesome sold-out show on a Saturday, it was like, we still got to go tour. We just got to go play to as many people as you can and just do it the hard way. Like a machine, huh? Yeah. And how was Europe for you, dude? Europe was cool. It was different. It was cold. I had never seen the snow until like I got real, to Europe. Like real cold. Like I was wearing chucks in the snow. Oh, <laughs> fuck. <laughs> yeah, it was awesome. It was, a, it, it, was, it was culture shock in a way. You know what I mean? Like it's expensive when you're like a little band coming up and every, you pay for everything and it's, you know, everything's so different. But it was awesome. The shows are great. The people are very receptive and it was a good response. You know what I mean? It was super fun and it was like, it's a trip when like, that was another goal that I had, you know, and you just think about something. And then you're just like, you're there. And it's, and it's actually happening. And then you're there. You're like, oh, shit, I'm in France. Fuck yeah, dude. Holy Living shit, the dream let's go mode. get some wine. You Fuck know, and yeah. they just, you know, and like Sweden and all these, all these beautiful places where it's like so far from your home. And it's like these songs got you there. That's badass. When dude. it really comes down to it, that's it, the hard work and stuff like that. But like these songs that developed and, and that, that was your ticket. That's pretty cool. Fuck yeah, dude. And your first uh, U.S. tour, like complete tour. Our first U.S. tours were um, on Warp Tour, dude. Oh, so the, you guys are the barbecue band then? That? Yeah, the barbecue band was like grounds. We have done a couple little things. Like we've gone out a week or two, but it wasn't like. Full-fledged. Like, no, nah, this was All like, over the country. So, yeah. So we do these Warp Tours where like you drive all night. You get there. You set up like at 7 in the morning. Doors are at noon. You, you, you have to do a barbecue at the end of the night. End up like at 10 or whatever, depending how long the drive is. Then pack up, drive out again. Do it all over again every day. So you're out there in the sun every day. It's really crazy. It's hot everywhere, right? 
And you guys were doing it in a van, right? In Not a, a tour van. bus. Oh, no, no, no. Van. Van with no equipment and a little bit of merch because what we pulled for the trailer was the barbecue pit. Damn. Dude, it was crazy. Now when I think about it, I'm like, what were we the on? What are we doing, dude? Yeah, <laughs> dude. But in a good way. Right. You know what I mean? So it was like, it was insane. And and that helped us a lot too. But it was those were our first tours. So when we started doing like club tours, like national tours. I was like, what do you mean you show up at 5 p.m.? For a sound check and all that. And there's loaded. AC. Oh, <laughs> tight. And then you could stay the night in a hotel or somebody's house that you meet. Yeah. So easy. Because Warp Tour was just like, go, go. And it was like, Mondays are off, I think, only. So those were our first tours. So when we you come from that and then you go to a regular tour, you're good, man. It's like super easy, huh? Super easy. It's easy. Like, yeah, because fucking touring like that for the Warp Tour stuck up the wrong way. Because as far as like, because uh, I mean, I remember going to Voodoo <laughs> for three weeks in 98. They were in a. I went um, to those shows. They were in a, um, a shuttle pulling a trailer. And it was like, you know, everybody with a tour bus. Those okay. mini buses? Yeah, dude. How, you, how many times did that shit break down? Oh, dude, fucking. Um, dude, we lost a trailer, dude, in Pittsburgh. And um, there was always an issue. A, t- a tire blowout. There's a Bouncing Souls movie about their life. And they say it like the most beautiful way. It's like, it's the sucker bus. Everyone <laughs> thinks that it's fucking the shit because it's bigger than a van, right. smaller than a tour bus. None of them work. We toured with the Horror Pops. Uncomfortable too, man. Yeah. We toured with the Horror Pops uh, that year, 05. So after Warp Tour, we did a whole US tour with the Horror Pops. Then we went to Europe with them again. And they had one of those buses. And at the time, our drummer, Ramrod, um, he was a mechanic. He's a really, really good mechanic and good dude. And um, he was always fixing their shit. He was like, Whatever's and, going and, down. And always something. They, they used to have like so many extra batteries already ready. Just chilling. Because the next one, because they always had their laptops. It was just, but I could always see like, okay, those things aren't built for touring nationally. That's a They're shuttle good. just to be a, from a hotel, take you to the fucking store, come back. Flip a bitch and come back. Exactly. And those, I was like, and then they would have a trailer on it. <laughs> and I was like, well. I mean, we made it, but they had a lot of problems. And to this day, when someone asks me, like, what do you think? We're going to get this. I'm like, do not do it. I, <laughs> I will. A Ford Econoline, they don't best make them ever. anymore. But best van ever. Best van ever. Ours, we just sold ours last year, which was a bum out, but it almost had 400,000 miles. We got a new Chevy one because they don't make Fords anymore. But one of those 15-passenger Chevys or Fords, that's all you need, man. Like, those other shuttle things, they're just not built. Just... They're just not. It's funny because uh, if I'm not mistaken, that uh, Bouncing Souls uh, shuttle, did it, could they bite off no effects? The first no, one? No, I they think got? they bought it off the Jewish community something. Oh, really? Okay. No effects had one yeah, too? Yeah, because no effects had one. They re- had one back in the day, I remember. Because I remember when people pulled up with tour buses, they were still in that shuttle. That's when they had that dude, Jay, but back then he had long hair. Oh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, dude. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know. I don't. They seem cool, but I don't know. More spaces, but they're a fucking pain in the ass, huh? Yeah, there's nothing wrong with a beautiful extended van. You know what I mean? And after the you guys did the Warp Tour, the first national tour, you guys do solo? Um, or you guys support? Yeah, we did We did a lot of solo stuff, and then we did another Warp Tour, and then that's when the Bouncing Souls asked us to go on their gold tour, which was awesome. It was them, the Street Dogs, Holy Bread, and us. We oh, did damn. That. Yeah, we would just tour, man. Like We did some tours with Voodoo. Uh, in between all that stuff, and and uh, we a lot, we would do a lot of tours on our own because it was like I was never the guy to be like, well, I'm waiting for somebody to ask me. I just go. Fuck it, book it, book it, and just go, and just just go, and just keep going, and and um, it's kind of hard too because like you know when when you live in that kind of world, like 
you leave your home, your dogs, your girl, or whatever, or you bring her with you, but or whatever. But it just when you go back, it's just so different. You know? What oh I'm saying? fuck like, yeah, dude! <laughs> you, you think after you go on a full tour, like a whole thirty day, twenty day tour at least, you're you're forever changed? Because I, I I've uh, even like you know not being in a band, I've always wanted to be in a band. But when I took off with the Voodoo ninety six, the day right after high school, did thirty days, came back. I've never felt like, dude, I've stressed out more at home than I do on the road. Yeah. Like, I always feel like it's always something that's missing, dude. Even when you do go back to, like, a 9 to 5 or something like that, it's like, fucking, you're, like, restrained, dog. Yeah. Yeah, you're, it's 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 hard, though, because, I mean, on so many ways, it's awesome. But then it's also, like, you know, a 10-hour drive to play on stage for, like, 45 minutes. And all the in-between the bullshit to get all the bullshit from like back home or or all the things that can be happening a and phone call could fucking ruin a fucking day or a week and then somebody meets you that day and they're like he was a dick i thought he was cool and then it's like dude my fucking house just fell apart like, yeah they don't even know what you're going through dog and then you can get fucking perceived as that thing yeah but it's like you got a fucking that's what experience you know you remember go back when you were a kid if that motherfucker would have been like that to you but it's like what the fuck dude? Yeah. i'm living my life this is for real right here yeah and i remember just you know just living in clubs and like just just living on on in the van and just like not thinking about anything else we just and then we you know started writing another record so inspired because of this whole touring thing and i'm like oh shit this is working like this is actually happening in front of me and developing and keep going and it's like and then you get caught in that whirlwind when it's like you can't really stop because oh, yeah. all of a sudden people expect you to do it and then there's just like the financial part of it where it's like people you know make money off of it and then you just you you kind of rely on it and then it's just like it's the best thing that you've ever wanted to do and it's happening so it's like why the fuck stop yeah. this is the dream but then the dream has a lot of things too because it's not all like not every show sold out you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah dog not every band's gonna make it not you know it's expensive yeah, it's expensive yeah. to be on tour and it's expensive to have a crew and 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 always have like you know and it's hard too when your friendships with your band mates who are like all of a sudden, maybe this guy's like, I don't like this shit. This is not, I, I, this is not what I thought it was going to yeah, be. Yeah, that's what I was going to get to. Like, a lot of people don't understand, like, what it takes to be on the road, dude. Some of them fucking nervous breakdowns or, like, they miss their <laughs> house or homesick. You know what I mean? Some people love it, and that's all they know. Do you remember Frida? Frida. Frida, he, he was on some warp tour. He worked for Pennywise. He, uh, he was working for Agnostic Front in 98, but... I've heard he died but oh. anyways that's a motherfucker that looked like he was on the road his whole life yeah yeah and so it's like some dudes never go home dude you know what I mean yeah and it's also too like what kind of road life you want to have if you want to party every day that's cool but then it's just gonna catch up with you and it's gonna be really really rough like if you you know what I mean because so, every day on tour is Saturday and whether <laughs> you're in you know like Utah on Monday and all your friends from Utah are showing up because to them they took the day off tomorrow because they're gonna hang out with you and then Tuesday, when you get to whatever, it's like, oh, I'm in Idaho. Oh, the homies from Idaho are coming. They, you know, so it's like always perpetual, and it's like that shit doesn't last. I mean, it does if you want it that way, but that's just that's hard, man. That's hard living where it's like oh, you wake fuck up. Yeah. So you have to just be smart, pick your battles, and just kind of enjoy the ride. But sometimes, yeah, you're like you're saying, like people miss their home or they have breakdowns, or it's like I remember like Europe was hard for one of my friends because. The food. He was just like, this is, what the fuck? He couldn't eat it? He just he just couldn't, he just didn't like it. You know what I mean? And it was just like, and I get it because I don't eat a lot of shit, but I'm like, <laughs> but I was eating fucking Pringles and Pringles sandwiches, like 
But I just, whatever. That's what I would do. I would barbecue sauce, Pringles chips, and bread. That was just what I was hanging with. And he was just like, I can't take this shit. And like, all this bubble water. <laughs> Damn, <laughs> you know. Dude. But, But then it's also like, dude, we're in Austria. Fucking hang out. Yeah, dude. You know I mean, shut the fuck up, yeah. dude. Like, we're good. But it's it's not easy for everyone, but... But it can be really rough. Your your home life can definitely fall apart. Oh, quick. fuck yeah, man. Quick. And what's up with the... What was Smelvis Records doing at that time? Were you keeping up and uh, putting records out? I was. I was. Contributed a lot to like the psychobilly scene and like... Uh, yeah. I, I, I have a lot of friends in the scene, so I would start signing bands that I thought had potential or friends that needed help mostly. Put out a lot of shows. I would do a lot of shows and then um, put out CDs of bands that I thought were like, you know, progressive and doing some stuff and... I was always doing that. So regardless if I was on tour, I'd still have shows. I'd have my buddy Justino run them or put out records and, and, and just kind of help the scene out and bands. And that was always a thing. And whether we were on Hellcat or not, like we still had our stuff on Smelvis, the older stuff. Okay. So I always kept that impressing and always kept it moving. Always. And as far as, the, were you involved in the recordings a lot or are you just putting the stuff out? Um, For the most part, I produced a couple of things, but for the most part, I would just put it out because the bands are doing their own thing and they'd bring it to me. And if I liked it, then I would, you know what I mean? Send yeah, because recording a band, I'm not that guy. I just can't. I have the controls and all that shit. Super impatient. Like, <laughs> you know what I mean? I just, I just, I don't have the patience for that. But they would record stuff, bring it in, and then I'd listen to it. And I'd be like, okay, let's do something. Hell yeah. And when's the first time I uh, left alone went to Mexico? We went to TJ a lot, like in. 99 2000 or something like that in mexicali but when we started going to like the fa and was like in 2006 with union 13 i believe and then we started going a lot more with inspector like in 2013 or four 13 or 14 we started going a lot and it's been awesome dude the the crowds are amazing over there dude mexico's a whole other world huh completely complete it's like a another universe like it's just different and those fools are like fucking they really soak that shit up huh yeah yeah. As far as like from them fucking, you know, dancing to fucking just fucking the hysteria that goes on fucking at those shows, dude. Motherfuckers jumping on everything, the speakers and fucking flying through the air, dog. Like yeah, that and all the bootlegging hell. Oh, they're fuck. passionate. <laughs> <laughs> they're all about it. Dude, they, <laughs> we did a show and they bootlegged they oh bootlegged God, a, a coffee mug with our name band no on it. I was like, that, I still had to buy it. Really? Yeah. They wouldn't give it to you. Nope motherfuckers it's dude. like they get mad <laughs> like, this is my hustle dog yeah this, hey, wait i made it <laughs> dude the, you're kidding me the dog. first time i went to mexicali in 90 99 they had a bootleg cd of my mistake which was our second ep and i just i i was like oh cool like i felt like i made it or something. right I was like, somebody Damn, bootleg your shit i was like can i nice. have one he's like yeah i'll give you a real one here you go <laughs> we traded and shit but yeah, over there, it's just the scene. Whatever. Yeah, dude. What are you going to do? I mean, dude, you go back to the Mexico in the 80s where they had that big old campaign because a lot of fools out here, they were uh, they were just like, you know, bootlegging Tigres and Nortes and those Yonix yeah. and fucking Bronco. And uh, there were all, a lot of campaigns on TV after like on Univision. Dígale no a la pirateria. Yeah, I remember that shit. Yeah, dude. Like, good luck with that. Yeah, you go to fucking swap me. They're that's, like, dude, I'm going to pay one tape for like when I can get 10 for the price of one. That's like saying, say no to money. Yeah, <laughs> shut up, dude. So you're doing that, dude. You're fucking. You're doing Left Alone. You're doing Smellish Records. You're producing these shows, and then um, you ended up uh, playing with uh, Transplants. Yeah. So how so, did that fucking whole ha shit happen? Yeah. Right. Like. <laughs> so. This is like 2010. We put out a record on on Hellcat 
and 09, the self-titled. We're touring and touring and touring and touring. Go to Hawaii and I start playing new places. It's starting to develop really cool and it's becoming nice. really awesome. And then one day I'm home and I get a call from Tim. And he's like, hey, are you home? I was like, it was like a Friday or Thursday. I was like, yeah. He's like, are you on tour or are you home? I was like, I just got home. He's like, all right. He's like, I'm coming in hot, but transplants are doing Conan O'Brien on Monday. And do you want to play guitar? And I was like, yes. <laughs> I was like, yeah, 100%. And um, we did it. He sent me like the chord or like the song. And then we ended up um, having a couple rehearsals. And then we went on the Conan O'Brien thing and did the fucking show. Which was insane, right? Like just like that. Just got called up to the majors, like fucking. You're pitching, and you know what I mean, like in the World Series. Got called up, and um, so that went down, and um, which was nerve wracking, and that was one of the dreams on the sheet of paper. That was like that's one of my things I want to play on TV, whatever. And then a little bit after that, he called me. He's like, "Hey, I, you know, I talked to the dudes. And, Do you want to be in the band?" And I was like, "Yes." See, <laughs> no question. Yeah, and it was cool because they're one of my favorite bands. Period. Fuck yeah, you know dude. what I'm saying? Like, yeah, man. So that was awesome because that just that just became another element where I could like play music, uh, another part of like the puzzle. Like I do this, I do that, and whenever that goes on, then we do that, and I'm totally cool with it. You know, we've done some awesome tours, and um, it's always fun, and and it's super like for me, it's like I'm playing in one of my favorite bands with some of my you know, best friends, like they're really cool. Kevin Bavona and like Travis is rad. And, and uh, it's crazy how like, it's weird to, to find myself in that position. You know, Rob, like he's such a badass singer and like, and with Tim, it's just weird, but cool. Like it's, they're my friends and I play with them. Hell yeah. And as far as that tour that uh, you guys did with Rancid, yeah. Transplants and uh, Interrupters. Interrupters, how was that shit? Dude? That shit was crazy, man. That was like, that brought another level of like my touring life because it was like, you know, Warp Tour was awesome. And like, and Transplants were on one of the Warp Tours in 05. So we've toured with them and watch them every day and stuff. And, but now I'm in this band and, and now we're on a Rancid tour, which is like my favorite band, right? And yeah. I get to see them every night and play in this band and Interrupters who were like starting to crack. And it was just like really, it was awesome. Every night sold out. Yeah, that was a hot ass tour. Tour buses, like fucking airplanes. Like that one shit, like when you think about like, oh shit, it's happening. Oh shit, it's happening right now. And that was like insane because that tour was just amazing. It was fun. It was super like, it's the biggest tour I've ever been on. You know what I mean? A lot of the rooms were like two nights in a row. Yeah, dude. You I know mean, what I mean? Because I caught one of the, the I caught the uh, night at uh, the Palladium, and then I caught one of the nights you guys did over there in Pomona. Oh, dope. Yeah, dude. And that was dope, huh? Fuck. Dude, yeah, when dude. I played the, the Palladium, which was another place that was on the list, because I saw Rancid there back in the day, and I was always like, I I remember going in there and doing sound check and just sitting in there like on the on the hardwood floor and just kind of tripping out like fuck happening yeah to me that's like the baddest room in fucking la dude totally and right there in the fucking right smack in hollywood dude. totally so that 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 was insane you know and then the interrupters were like starting to develop really well and like watching them every night and like it was cool man and then on the second leg of that tour tim timebomb and friends tim's other band mm -hmm. played it and then um he asked me to join the band like a week before the tour kind of thing damn and i was in i was uh leaving to monterrey with inspector to play some shit 
So I think we had like two rehearsals before the tour, dude. Yeah. That was it. That was it. Because I think he had like another band. Something happened or, or certain mem- something happened when he just called me one day. And I was at home. I remember. And he was just like, hey, man, like, you want to go on this tour? Like, da-da-da. I was like, yes. And he's like, okay, well, this da da da. So I was like, okay, well, I'm leaving New Mexico, but as soon as I get back, we'll meet up. And we had like a couple of practices. First show was in Austin, Texas at Austin City Limits, I think. Ah, damn. Yeah, man. And then we were doing Op Ivy songs. And then I had to sing a part. Fuck. Yeah. Dude. And it's like the sound system. Try to, yeah. try to the limit of my ability. But right there, I was like, oh, my God. Because it's, I mean, it's like a Bible verse. That shit's like oh, forever. Fuck yeah, dude. So I was like, all right. And we did it. And it was awesome. And then it just, that tour continued on with that. And it was just, now it was that kind. It was like his, his like solo stuff with the interrupters, backing band with the horn section and me. So it was really... It was like more ska based. It was dope, dude. And as far as you when when you prepare for that, obviously you have those two uh, rehearsals. But do you do your own prep by yourself? Listen, or you just go with what you uh, nah. guys did there, just to not be over prepared. And you want to be, you know, in the pocket, obviously. But still, the thing about that, see, with the transplants, it was like I know the songs, like that. I just know them. Not not that I know them musically, but I know them. I know them from listening to them and yeah. listening to those records. Exactly. So when it comes down to learn them. It's more of I'm in the pocket with this stuff. It was more ska and it was his version of these traditional songs that were, a lot of them were covers or a lot of them were like new ones that he wrote or whatever. So I fell in the pocket because I like to play ska and I, I could feel it. It's a groove kind of thing, but I didn't over prepare because I didn't have time because a lot of stuff was going on in my life and then I went to go do that stuff and then I came back and then it was like, okay, cool. Cause we're leaving. You see, I, I remember I flew in. It was just like, just yeah, instant. it was just like literally like, and if, yeah, it was just like, cause it was all last minute. There's like no time. No, there was, it was all last minute. I'm telling you, he called me maybe like on a Wednesday and I had to go to Mexico on say like Friday, Saturday. I was back on Sunday. We had rehearsals Monday, Tuesday. And we were flying out by Wednesday. God damn. That kind of stuff. And, um, I, I've, this is how crazy it was. The, the, the equipment truck, because everything rode like in a big 18-wheeler, mm-hmm. was already gone on the way to Austin. So I I went to the airport with like my whole rig. Yeah, dude. God damn. And my the guitars. rocket cargo that shit or what? Yeah. I was all like, just put it on the card. You know what I mean? Like, <laughs> at that point, I didn't care. I was like, what I'm going to go tour with Tim Time on my friends and continue the Rancid tour. Shit, I don't care. Whatever. So everything was flown in. Like with me, like it was my luggage. I had one backpack full of clothes and my gear and showed up and then we started the tour. It's crazy, man. It was awesome. It was That's fucking nuts. Now dude. when I think about it, it's it's pretty it was really raw, like in the sense of like just go, 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 go. But it was like the perfect thing that I needed at the time and it was like it it's just happened the way it was supposed to happen, you know? Hell yeah, dude. And what are you doing now, dude? Oh well, Oh, I'm sorry, dude. Well I'm before sorry. that Go for it. Right after that tour I went to Hawaii to play like three shows, came back and went on tour with Voodoo for like 53 days, 53 shows in a row with no days off. Right here in the, in the in States? In the U.S. <laughs> that was right after that. Something like that. We did like this with us, the toasters and them. But Damn. Yeah. But that was the, that was the end of 2013. <laughs> so that year was just like no sleep. Done. Done. But a good done. You know what Fuck I mean? Fuck yeah, dude. It was awesome. Lucky to be a part of that stuff. Hell yeah, dude. And what are you doing now as far as uh, 
with now, uh, with uh, Left Alone because last time I seen you was in Riverside, so it's been over a year, dude. But that lineup that you have is fucking tight, dude. Like real, like really tight. I've seen you guys before, but that lineup that you have right I'm now. I'm really glad that you say that because, um, you know, the band has got a lot of member changes through the years because we've been around since 96. Right. That's 20 years. And dude. even early dude. on, it was like, you know, dudes get girlfriends or, or dudes get real jobs. And when they get real jobs and they start making real money. They give up the struggle. Yeah. Because all of a sudden, why the fuck am I going to go play? this club for like a hundred bucks, you know, when I can, I'm working over here and making this much. So that's one of the reasons why I never really let myself get a real job. Cause I always wanted to like, I knew that there was something there. You know what I mean? Cause when you get complacent with money, money, oh, fucks, yeah. money fucks up the dream immediately. Oh, fuck Cause all yeah. of a sudden you start eating at different places. You start, <laughs> right. You know what I'm talking about? Yeah, you start man. Buying, all of a sudden, you need a new car. The old car wasn't good enough. Then you start payments, and then you, you, you get st- trapped, dude. You do, and that's that's one thing I never let happen to me because um, I knew where I needed to go and where I wanted to go, and I just couldn't fucking let that shit weigh me down because I didn't care if I didn't have a carro del año. I didn't give a right. fuck if I didn't have like this and that. It was just like I'm I'm working on this shit. And I'm trying to get to where I'm going. Yeah, you want to put out records. You want to be on stage. You want to be on the road. Dude. I want to be able to leave on tour and like not worry about all this debt and all this stuff. And and it, it you know, that's what happened. But I'm glad you say that because that band, Jam, Ben, and Pablo are like they're the best musicians like I've ever played with and left alone. And like they're so tight within themselves too, where like they're really good friends. And like you. you there's like a weird bond and they're like the re- chemistry just re- perfect hard in musicians though, dude. like I come up with like a three chord song and like oh that's cool but what about this and this and that and then it's like they like grow it into something enhance really. that shit mm-hmm. and they're, they could play really well their instruments and it, it shows and I'm always confident with them because like I, I'm a three chord guy like that's all I can do I mean, you know, two chord songs and one string solos just that's, that's <laughs> all I got you know what I mean but then with them with the stand up bass and the way the drummer plays all this crazy shit and the organ player it really fills out everything where it's like it makes the band sound the way I've always wanted to sound it just took a while to like get it together because I had to meet these people you know what I mean yeah man it's like almost like destiny huh yeah yeah the bass player when he was 17 he was. He called me to get a fake ID because he heard I knew where to get them. <laughs> yeah, because he was. He was. He was. He was uh, tour managing the horror pops, but they were playing some Twenty One and Over. Oh, venues. So they needed, and he's like, "Oh, call Elvis." He, he Is that knows, Jimmy Jam. Yeah. Okay. He knows. He knows a guy who knows a guy. Well, I did know a guy. Uh, I guess <laughs> well, I didn't know a guy. I knew it in area. I was like, "Go over there." Well, MacArthur you, Park. Or you what? Figure, oh, pues. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and so. Uh, so yeah, he was like, "Yeah, man, you remember me?" Like, da da da. I was like, "He's like, yeah, I, I'm." Oh shit, that's you! And then we toured together, and then I asked him to play bass, and he's retired. He's even better at guitar than bass, if you can even imagine that. He's just really good. But really that's talented how, dude. Yeah, and then Ben, remember that that band that I was telling you from Wilmington, our drummer Ben, that that band from Wilmington called Armistice, the super punk. They're still around. You said yeah, the no. No whale ink. Yeah, he was in that band. Are you serious? I have pictures of him. He's he was way younger, way way younger than them. Dude. Like he was like in high school, like fifteen. I have pictures of him playing at the Allen Theater with that band at one of my shows. And one day I was going through all my photos and I was like, "Oh shit! Here, Ben. Here's you dressed up like Christopher Robin for fucking <laughs> for Halloween because uh, for Scalloween because they their logo was Winnie the Pooh with the mohawk. 
So they all dressed up like that. And th so that's where he comes from. Damn. And dude. the organ player, I met him on Warp Tour in Pennsylvania. We were on stage and he just walks up to me. He's like, hey. I was like, what's up? He's like, you guys are the only band up here that kind of plays ska. So whenever you guys come back from Canada, I'll play with you guys. I was like, all right, cool. Because whatever. He's a ska guy. So we come back and he just shows up with this fucking organ. He just sets up. And then he's like, hey, so can you write down what ska songs you have? And I'm like, this song, this song, this song on the set list. You know, he goes, can you tell me the chords? And I was like, <laughs> and I don't know chords, right? So I was like, well, I don't know chords, but this is where I put my fingers. So then he starts writing them down. And then he just started playing with us that day. And that was it. Really? Since then? Yeah. So then from that day, when we recorded the next record, I would fly him in and just, he's from Baltimore. So I would fly him in and then he would just record and then started doing some of the tours. But little did I know that he had like this background in ska with, he used to play for the Pie Tasters. And, really? Yeah. And he used to oh, play, okay. he's played with Vic Ruggiero from the Slackers. Oh, wow. So he, he knows his shit. Oh, that's and he's, a, he, he, yeah, so, homeboy fucking, and he's played, fucking he, around. Um, HR used to live at his warehouse with them. And like when I used to, uh, so deep musical history, even besides golf. Yeah, but some guy just walks up to you and he's just like, hey. You just think it's whatever. Yeah, but then he shows up and then he starts playing and I'm like, okay. And that's kind of the sound I've been kind of wanting for a long time. And this motherfucker just shows up. So I'm like, okay, play with us. And he did. And he killed it. And then from then on, he's been kind of in the band. Hell yeah, dude. You know like a little I mean? musical angel got sent to you. Dude. And I love him. He, he, he's he been with me through a lot of stuff. The longest in the band. And he's crazy sometimes, but... <laughs> You know what I mean? It's like you got to put up with a little bit of craziness. Well, they put up with my shit, so you know I'm, I'm no fucking prince. I'm no fucking. I'm not that awesome. <laughs> and, uh, and you guys are working on a record right now. Yeah, so we re we just released a new single, a seven inch. We did one song with uh, Rob from uh, Transplants, and we did one like a ska song from Living Up Here in the Mountains. It's it's a cool little up upbeat kind of tune. So now it's time to write a new record. I've been kind of lagging. Not lagging, but like the way I write songs is like I don't sit down and write songs. I'll just hang out and like I'll start strumming something. And whatever that develops into, that develops into. So the last year or two, I've been writing these songs. But my band, <laughs> and I love them for it, but they kind of look at me and they're like, that's more solo stuff. Which means it's way more like poppy, sappy all lovey-dovey shit, right? <laughs> Which, but they have that meter. Because to me, I'm like, it's my song, dude. It's like, they're cool, right? But they're like, nah, that one, put that one in that. But they're really nice about it. Like, put that one in that basket. And like, so. So they're able to differ differentiate in between them. They're that. the filter that I need because to me, like like I told you, I don't sit down. And I'm like, oh, I'm going to write this. I've done it a couple of times or when I get a little idea. But now it's like, okay, I got to write a record that's more in tune with my band that's more that vibe so it's more of like a conscious kind of thing that i have to do you know because normally i'll just kind of write stuff and wherever it ends up but now it's like i want to write a record i'm in a different place in my life i want to like which is cool because every record's been where i'm at or whatever at that and, point in time yeah and now i feel like i'm in a good place where i can write a pretty good record in my opinion of what i'm doing and with them as a band it's it's gonna it's gonna be really good because what i see it is like they fix my shit hell yeah you know what i mean like they add all this stuff so i'm stoked we're gonna write a new record record it and um hopefully it'll be out maybe by the end of the year hell yeah dude yeah 
Well, dude, thank you very much, dude. I mean, dude, I know we barely even like scratch the surface or whatnot. <laughs> we had a fucking tremendous conversation even beforehand. Yeah. Uh, but I really want to thank you a lot for even doing this. It was a while, dude. I really wanted to um, uh, have you on for days. And I hit up Vinny. He got a hold of you and you're just busy yeah. doing your shit. Well, I was moving and, from uh, my other warehouse. Relocating and all you that know, stuff. Relocating twice the house and the, the warehouse. So now that I was like, hey, man. And I was just thinking about it. I was like. Okay, I'm pretty chill right now. I should just hit him up, and you instantly hit me up. So yeah, thank man, you. I appreciate Fuck it. Fuck yeah, dude. And uh, how can people get a hold of you, like your social media handles um, and all that? I and hate, check out the new single. As I well. hate all that stuff. All my social media is like <laughs> pictures of my dogs. <laughs> yeah, that one right there, all fucking fat. Che <laughs> longas. Um, Elvis Cortez three one zero on Instagram and on on Facebook. You could just my name or Left Alone. We always try to update all the stuff that's happening. We're about to go on a tour right now with the Street Dogs, so that'll be out in June. Okay. So, yeah, we're just doing stuff, and, you know, you can always just look for look us up on the interweb. Fuck yeah. Well, thank you so much, dude. Awesome. Thank you. Keep Appreciate shining, it. dog. Yeah, man. Yeah, man. Thank you very much for listening, ladies and gentlemen. Uh, Shout-outs uh, to all the homies on Snapchat. Mad respecto. Shout-out to all the homies on Instagram. Matt Respecto, Alex DeLarge, Dodger David O, Myra underscore Bone Bone, Pine Dew, what up, Glam Murillo 66, Mega Man 6980, how could we forget, and shout out to the All Things Comedy uh, Network, yeah man, and also, just to let you guys know, um, as far as, uh, What's cracking with the What's Up Full podcast? We have uh awesome, awesome, awesome thing coming up. Yeah, man. We um there's a uh, there's a contest for um the uh, What's Up Full the new logo contest. Uh, we're looking for a new uh, logo for the What's Up Full podcast, and we want to invite you, the listeners, to submit. The winner gets five hundred dollars U.S. cash, and we'll publicly announce the winner's name. Winning submission becomes exclusive U.S. copyright and trademark of Felipe's World Inc. Guidelines: Email a high-resolution JPEG of your design. Image must be three hundred DPI. 2400 by 2400 pixels at least if it's hand-drawn send a higher resolution scan of the drawing email to fans at felipesworld.com submission deadline is 11 59 p.m april 22nd 2018 we choose the top five designs fans will vote for the winner on social media winner announced april 24th 2018 yeah man so uh you guys with your little uh art skills submit it dude see what happens man and uh that way you guys or you could be the designer of the new logo shout out to toby hicks and jamal doman check out their podcast dope dealers podcast and um to everybody that has uh left a review on uh podcasts on podcasts on itunes man thank you very much dude on the real um Dude, it's a trip, man, because, dude, man, dude, I didn't do stand-up comedy to be famous or become a celebrity, dude. It's a trip, dude, because I was kind of pouting a couple of 
of uh, months ago and going, dude, I haven't done this, I haven't done that. And I was talking to a homie that knew me before I did stand-up. And he told me, he's like, dude, your goal was to perform at the improv, dude. You've done that, dude. Like, what's up? Like, And I was just sitting there going, fuck, dude. You lose yourself, dude. You know, you can't be sitting there comparing yourself to other people, and it's what other people do. Um, and you get lost in that shit, you know what I mean? You get all jaded, dude. So, you know, you got to get back to basics. And that's what I'm doing, you know? And it was a trip to just uh, see all the comments, dude, because I didn't look at them. We have uh, 94 ratings. Because it's like, you know, it's a lot of ego involved, dude. Dude, you have to be confident. Yeah, it's cool and whatever, dude. But um, I was really surprised by all the love, dude really really surprised man i was like fucking really 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 tripping dude um on what you guys said dude so uh please please keep the ratings uh up by uh hitting the reviews we have 94 dude this is mad diy and for all you guys know diy let's do it yourself i'm an old school punker not like old school like uh yeah in the benches i come from like the 90s little revolution like rancid uh voodoo glow skulls you know the second coming of bad religion like shit like that like the epitaph years byo youth brigade no effects pennywise you know what i mean so i'm like really diy there's no corporate influence this shit ain't produced this shit ain't edited yo it's the raw feed coming straight from the heart and the soul so uh yeah man i was really 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 surprised it's a trip dude because it's like Dude, you can't quit now, bro. What the fuck, dude? Give the people what the fuck they want, Rod. They want you. <laughs> Excuse me, guys. So, yeah, man, I was really like, uh, dude, I was blown away. Um, yeah, man, so shout out to Emotionally Unavailable NYC, El Boogie, Albirdo, It's Tony, Grande Huevos Gomez, Ab Tar twenty three at Edgar zero five one two seven nine Blue Dini O one and that's just one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight reviews, dude. And we'll go back. Just cause I'm like, dude, tripping. If you're a fan of the What's Up Fool podcast, you'll definitely love this one. Peace to you, Rodrigo Torres. Rodrigo, the podcast was great. I'm a regular listener of the What's Up Fool podcast and just found out that you have one of your own i just finished listening to the first episode and i loved it enjoy the whole show i enjoyed the whole show i was playing some xbox with the podcast playing in the background and i was hooked i'm about to play the second episode but i wanted to make sure and show some love keep up the good work but though much love from southgate california fan representing the left coast that's what i'm talking about big dog rodrigo comes through shining on his podcast yeah man congratulations rodrigo great first podcast can't wait to hear many many more great stories hope you can book felipe as a guest someday before the fame hits his head like fluffies just kidding what's up fool yeah man now two great podcasts two great humble people keep on shining and that's uh it's tony and uh the title of that one's stomping grounds uh, this one is Grande Huevos Gomez. Finally, Rodrigo gets to shine. His sexy laugh is complemented by his many impressions and vast intelligence. Definitely a show to you'll want to pleasure yourself to, or that you would want to pleasure yourself to. Uh, yeah, yeah, man. 
<laughs> Great show, hilarious host. Look forward to hearing more. One of the baddest motherfuckers out there <laughs> at Edgar051279. Yeah, man. So thank you very much, man. So uh, you guys keep shining out there and check out this tune. Yeah, man. I was lost in myself. I was blinded by a rise. And the news came out of nowhere. The morning that you had died. 